you know, hopefully over the last 150 years, we've learned a lot of lessons about how to do resource extraction safely and to do it with minimal impact on the environment. You know, as we're making these big changes very quickly, let's take those lessons, apply them to what we're trying to do in the future and, and, and do it as well as we possibly can. I'm John Bradford, Vice President of Global Initiatives at Colorado School of Mines. You're listening to The Conveyor, the podcast that brings you the latest research, new discoveries, and world-changing ideas from Colorado School of Mines. To begin, what is the Global Energy Future Initiative at Mines? The Global Energy Future Initiative is really about eliminating CO2 emissions from our energy economy. So it's meeting the net zero challenge, which is perhaps one of the biggest challenges that our society has faced ever in history, possibly. So it's an enormous challenge. The key elements that we bring to this discussion are expertise in oil and gas, critical minerals and metals, clean water, carbon capture utilization and sequestration, advanced energy systems, which is, uh, includes renewable energy, and supply chain transparency, which links all of these different uh, elements together in an in integrative sort of way. Also, since we're a institution of higher education, I think that we can be a trusted, objective voice in the conversation to help with some of the uh, surrounding issues. Of course, many of the issues that we're talking about here are politically sensitive and, and controversial in some cases. So uh, it's a challenge for us, I think, to try and navigate those. But I think it's important for us to do it in a responsible and effective way. Yeah, it is important when tackling so many challenges, especially through so many channels. It seems like then there's a need for more public awareness on these various issues and viewpoints. I, th I think that's true. Awareness and acceptance, right? So it's a change that's happening. It's something that we need to accept. And, you know, my hope is that at some point in the near future, we'll get to a point where the political do discussion doesn't revolve around whether it's actually happening or whether we need to deal with it, but how we go about dealing with it, right? So there are going to be policy differences. There'll be different ways to, to manage the situation and we can have political discussions about that. But the reality is, is that it's a change that's going to have a big impact on us uh, as a society. Well, politics is often key. So how has something like the Biden administration's climate plan addressed issues towards future energy change? So one of the key components of the Biden plan is that we can drive economic growth with the energy transition. So there's a perception out there that, you know, if we transition our energy system in where there's a higher proportion of renewables, we we drive changes in our construction that leads to better efficiency, but that we're still that, that we're continuing to use oil and gas, but with this other element, which is carbon capture utilization and sequestration. There's a, a huge amount of economic input that's required to build up these other things. So if we're going to build the infrastructure for CCUS and build the technologies that are required to make that happen, that will employ a lot of people. If we start building more solar farms and, and wind farms, that's going to employ a lot of people. If we transition more coal-fired power plants to gas-fired power plants, that's going to drive a lot of jobs. Uh, there's some other components of the infrastructure that have to change too. So carbon, if we can figure out how to capture it at sources, if we can figure out how to capture it from the atmosphere, then we have to push it around, right? We have to 
mobilize that carbon to places where we're storing it. And uh, storing it can be in geologic reservoirs or storing it might be in producing other commodity products like other types of plastics that use CO2 as a feedstock or storing it in concrete is another possibility. We have to get the carbon from the source to where we're going to store it somehow. And that requires, you know, construction of pipelines and uh, things like that. So it sounds like there's some big economic promises with the plan, but what might be overlooked? There's something, and this really isn't in the public conversation yet, although it's, you know, recognized by people that are working on the issues, which is the, an enormous growth in the raw supply of minerals and metals that are needed to create uh, renewable energy technology such as you know solar and wind so if we transition a significant part of our energy supply to renewables we're going to have to grow the supply of critical metals and minerals that includes base metals like copper and aluminum and things like that but also rare earth elements that are needed for you know advanced battery systems and and that sort of thing how much of an increase some of those elements, we're going to have to increase the supply by something like a thousand percent by 2050, which is just an enormous challenge. So we have to be able to find the reserves of those elements, develop them, mine them, extract them, and be able to do that quickly, sort of on the, you know, a few decades time scale uh, to produce all the materials that we need for the energy transition. And that's just a, an enormous challenge. And in some sense, you know, this, this isn't so much part of the conversation yet, but it needs to be. And it's something that we have to accept as a society. So as we transition away from oil and gas to renewables, in some sense, we're trading one non-renewable source resource for another. So, you know, the supply of, of those metals and minerals that are needed for this are also, lim you know, limited and, and a finite resource. So, uh, so we have to manage that carefully. We have to accept that that's something that that we do, you know, as we make the uh, energy transition and, and we have to make probably some regulatory and policy changes to make it possible to do that on the, on the time frame that will help us meet our net zero goal, sort of at the 2050 goal that, that many governments and companies are setting for themselves. So then the real challenge is to efficiently develop these renewable resources, which actually must be made from non-renewable resources, all in a very quick amount of time. Yeah, exactly. There's another point that I want to make about the regulation. So this is in the in the mining sector. My understanding is that it takes from, you know, identification of a resource to having a, a mine that's fully up and running and, and producing the raw ore, largely because the regulatory process is involved. That can be, you know, 10, 20, maybe even more years to get that up and running. So we're talking to, you know, to get a new, a brand new mine up and running, we're talking about something that's on the same scale as that we want to get to net zero. And so for certain, uh, certain types of resources, if we need to increase the supply by, you know, 100, 200, 500% of certain kinds of resources, how is that going to be possible if it takes 10, 20 years to even get a new mine up and running? So something has to change there, right? So if we want to do all these things, we have to we have to be willing to change in multiple areas in the way that we're operating. So. I'll use this as an opportunity to expand on another facet of this that we haven't talked about yet. Go for it. 
the area of national security. So our national security is improved by international partners, other countries recognizing us as a stable and reliable partner. So if we're rapidly shifting policies, that creates some challenges uh, in that regard. Right now, we, you know, the U.S. doesn't control the rare earth market, for example. That's controlled primarily by China. So for na national security purposes, that puts us in a, in a vulnerable position. So if, you know, we have to figure out how to address that and address our own production capabilities and address our own role in that uh, supply chain for those critical uh, elements that, that are so important for this transition. As you mentioned, the global politics are key. So, you know, having cooperation between uh, countries that are both producing the resources and, and then utilizing them and having, you know, sort of global policies that everyone agrees on that, that can address these environmental and social concerns that, uh, that we have. I think that's going to be really critical to doing this well. To wrap up, what does Minds and the Initiative hope to gain from the research and collaboration around the world to solving these climate change problems? I think that the, the problem is so big that it would be uh, misleading probably to say that we're going to solve all those problems ourselves at Minds, right? That's, that's not the reality of the situation. But we do partner with other universities in the U.S. We partner with universities and governments and companies working worldwide. And it's through those sorts of partnerships that the globe is really going to be able to address the bigger problem. But I think that our sort of unique uh, sets of expertise make it possible for us to sort of be a, a central locus for that sort of activity and, and bring the right people together to solve the problems. A lot of investment is going to be made in developing these technologies, and that's an opportunity for us to have a role in that and to pull in the research dollars that we need to support the university and support all the activities that we do. Thanks for listening to The Conveyor. To learn more about how Colorado School of Mines is solving some of the world's biggest engineering and scientific challenges, visit mines.edu and then join us back here for our next episode. This episode of The Conveyor was produced by Ashley Spurgeon, hosted and edited by Dan and Cox.